Y'all know what time it is. It's time for that Bully the Kid podcast show with yours truly, Bully the Kid. But y'all know what I'm going to do. Every 10th episode, I'm going to bless y'all with a special Q&A where y'all, the listeners, get to ask me, Bully the Kid, any question y'all want about any and everything y'all think is pertinent to the bully world. Today's special guest is going to be none other than Tristan Batiste of Blue Note Bullies. He's going to come through, ask Bully the Kid all the questions that y'all want answered. And I'm going to sit here and be the thankful host slash guest and lay it down with y'all. And that goes down right now. Let's get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's your boy DJ Dramatic from the Senate DJ's. You checking out my man right now, Bully the Kid. It's going down real heavy in the booth. The champ is here. Time's up. The champ is here. Remix. The champ is here. The champ is here. Bully. Bully the Kid. Bully the Once again, it's your boy, Bully the Kid. And I got to say, man, I've appreciated the little week hiatus that we did in between podcast shows this week because I promise you, I definitely needed it. I know you guys are waiting for the big interview. That big interview, of course, is with Dave Martinez and my homegirl, Kira Beatty Certeza. That interview is coming. I promise the people we're going to do it. I'm trying to get my schedule linked with their schedule, but I want to make sure that we give y'all the best interview that we possibly can for the bully community. So that's going to come up a little later on this week. We're going to, of course, sit down with David and Kira and talk about Nationals and Blue in the upcoming year and the trials of becoming the number one dog in the country and the pressure of winning Nationals. That's coming up a little later on in this week. But this, of course, is the 10th episode. And as I said on the intro, we're going to do something a little bit different around this time. We're going to do a little Q&A. I'm going to let one of my listeners come on and ask Bully the Kid all the questions y'all want answered from, you know, none other than myself. You know, it's, it's not kind of, well, it's kind of like the Bully the Kid training tips. Some of these things are proven, but, you know, they're all accurate. So check check that out. You know what I'm saying? So that's going to be going on a little bit later. But y'all know what we do here on the Bully the Kid podcast show. We, of course, open up with Dogs in the News and this news actually comes from Slate Magazine. If y'all have not checked out Slate, check it out. It's a great editorial. I love reading Slate because they always touch on different things and different topics that relate to dogs and things like that. But this one was a little bit crazy because we all got those friends out there that refer to their dogs as their fur babies. Now, as someone who has three homo human, is it human sapiens or homo sapien children, you know, basically real kids, I've always kind of been like, you know, I've kind of been a little bit eerie or leery about the term fur baby. I've never referred to my dogs as my kids or my baby or anything like that. I, I pretty much have a very compartmentalized thing for my dogs and a 
compartmentalize. Why am I struggling with this word? It's like compartments, but compartmentalize. <laughs> struggling. Anyway, listen, they got a group over here and I got another group over here. So the, the babies, the real human babies over here and then the dogs over there. Let's keep it simple. <laughs> anyway, I kept them separate. So I never really had the whole fur baby thing. And I kind of... I kind of cringed when I heard people say, oh, that's my fur baby or that's a fur mommy. It was always weird to me. No offense to my listeners that sit out there and, you know, y'all refer to your dogs as, as fur babies. But this article basically came on and said, go ahead and call your dog your fur baby. And scientists basically came on and wanted to point to many, many similarities between canines and human offspring. In the article, it goes on to talk about, you know, times where as dog owners, we say, the wrong terminology because we're so intertwined with our dogs as well as our kids. I've done that. You know, I've, I've been like having to take the kids to the pediatrician. And instead of saying we're going to the doctor, I'd be like, hey, we got to get this kid to the vet. I, I, I've done those things. So I do understand that. But never in my psyche do I think of my dog as, as a child. But it's saying that it's actually not a bad thing. It's saying that it's very common for human beings to look at a baby and attach attached to it like they do their dogs and then look at a dog and attach to it as they would a child. This is really, really weird as I got deeper and deeper in the article, but it talks a little bit about how they both have very limited communication skills. When you're talking about a dog and a baby, these are both very, very similar. They talk about how babies and dogs both have a keen awareness of being able to tell that people are good or inherently bad. Now, I got to say this. I've never really trusted that because I think I'm a good person, but there have been some dogs that didn't like me. I think it was more of a problem with the dog than a problem with me. But, you know, of course you feel guilty. Like, don't you feel guilty? Like when somebody's dog doesn't like you and everyone looks at you like, oh, Sally's a really good judge of character. You must be a little shady because she doesn't she doesn't really like Bob. Man, you know what? F Sally. Like, I'm a good person. I, I don't have to defend myself to four-legged Sally, but... But you find yourself, you find yourself in that awkward moment where a dog doesn't like you or a baby doesn't like you that you just feel like inherently like you're not a good person. You pick up a baby and it starts to cry. I think everybody, I think it's human nature. When you pick up a child or you see someone pick up a child and that baby cries for you to think there's something wrong with that person. Like, why don't that baby like you? <laughs> like, why don't that baby like you? Like, what did you do that that baby doesn't like you? I think that's kind of common. But the scientists are basically saying that this is a true thing that happens with babies and kids. They have this in inherent ability to determine good people from bad people. I don't know. I, I just think like human beings, I, I'm, if I was a baby, I, I don't like everybody. I, I don't have to like everybody. And if I'm a dog, I don't, I don't have to like everybody. So that's kind of kind of weird when they were talking about that. You know, they talked about some other similarities that you can think about when you talk about it. For instance, say there's a red ball and a toy car on a table and your child knows the word ball but not car. If you ask them to get the car, they'll grab the objects on the table. That is not a ball. They're saying that dogs will do this too. Like you point at something, you tell your dog to get the stick, but there's not a stick on the table. The dog is going to grab a ball similar to what a child would do at the ages of 12 to 18 months. And none of these things are, are really, really, in my opinion, accurate. You know what I'm saying? Now, I did an article last podcast where I talked about the dog's new 89 words. This article goes on to talk about a border collar named Chaser who was known over 1,000 words. And that's the same number as a three-year-old child. So in essence, Chaser is equivalent to a three-year-old child as far as his cognition and things like that. But I, I don't know 
if all of this is accurate, I, I don't know how I feel about it, but it, it's basically going on into the article to go a little bit deeper in the psychology of it all and says it's very normal for human beings to attach to dogs as if they are children. I think that's all good and dandy until you have kids. Because I'll tell you what, I I always look at the advantages of my children and my dogs. Like, I do, you know, I crate my dog, so I like that, but I can't crate my child. That would be cruel, I would imagine. Um, but it's also very convenient, you know. Um, it would save me money if I could travel with my child underneath the seat in front of me on a plane as I do my dog. I'm just trying to weigh the opportunities where a fur baby is better than a naked baby because that's what it would be, a fur baby and a naked baby. So basically, this study goes on. Never mind me. This study goes on to talk a little bit more about it, about that your child will grow up to learn twenty to 35,000 words. Our dog, on the other hand, will rely on us for the rest of our life. In fact, because of that, a dog is more infantile than an infant because a dog will always be your baby. Hmm. Hmm. <coughs> Crazy. Absolutely crazy. That's what, <laughs> okay. It's not really crazy. You know what? I'm going to say this, and I, I got to divulge a little bit of information. I know a lot of people that have dogs that don't have children. They look at their dogs as their as their children. They have birthday parties. They um celebrate things. They take care of it when the dog is injured. They baby it. They say they have to go home. They call into work because their dog is sick. These are all things that I understand. But again, I think once you have skin babies, that's what we're going to call them. We're going to call them the fur babies and then the skin babies. Once you have a skin baby, I think the dog, for most people, the dog goes back into his category of being the dog baby. And even though I love every puppy that's ever come through my house, I've never really confused the two. I, I think when you don't have a skin baby, you're a little bit more prone to treat your fur baby as such. I don't know what the science is behind it, but I just have a feeling that once the little skin baby pops up, you um, you, you kind of lose that whole fur baby being the same as a child. But I understand the science behind it all. Hey, it's good. I think maybe we should look at it like that. Now, in no way or form am I saying we should abuse our animals because we shouldn't. We should love them. But I never was big on loving them the same as a, as a skin baby. I really like the term skin baby. I, I think that's what I'm going to get from this article is the term skin baby is highly relevant. And, and highly adaptable to everything we talk about. Like, hey, when I talk about my kids now, it's going to be like, hey, you know, the three skin babies. That, that's, <laughs> that's what I'm just going to call them from now on. All right, guys, before I get started, I got to also say this, man. That was dogs in the news. Of course, we're going to do one article today. I got to talk about consistency. That was one of the things I was doing a live feed on earlier um, on Monday, if you guys are friends with me on Facebook on my Christopher James slash Bully the Kid page, you, of course, can check out my live and hear what we were talking about, about consistency. And on there, I was pretty much discussing this discussing what is wrong with me today. I, I don't know if I'm prepared for my podcast. Um, I was discussing basically that certain bully breeds will never, ever achieve the level of consistency as some of some other breeds of dogs due to the like of a variation within those breeds. I also believe that bully breeds are highly attractive because them being so different from each other, meaning that you can have the biggest, the smallest, the widest, the heaviest, 
and this creates breeders that in turn try to create dogs that look so different from the norm. They can almost in some cases look like their own variety or their own breed. In turn, this attracts more dollar bills. People pay more money for these um, changes and these differences. So when I hear people talk about consistency, it's not where I'm saying that we don't want to be consistent in regards to, hey, you want to have a great product. You want to be consistent in putting out a quality animal. You want to be consistent and that you are known for such and such. You're known for being a great show person. You're known for having a very clean kennel. You're known for standing behind your dogs. Uh, those are things that you want to be consistent in. But overall, look, I think that consistency starts with you being consistent in your own individual look that is different from everyone else's because that in lies the value. I think in other breeds like Dobermans, Rottweilers, German Shepherds, Dalmatians, Yorkies, um, it's not as prevalent. People want a Dalmatian that looks like a Dalmatian. Therefore, the value is in consistency. They want you to be able to walk down the street and be able to look and say, hey, that's a beautiful Dalmatian. They feel happiness that you recognize their dog, which they may have gotten from the paper or a neighbor or from a top breeder as the breed it is identified as. That's the number one thing. They don't want you to be to have a Doberman and you come down and you're like, is that a boxer? Is that a Weimariner? Is that a, a golden doodle? Like, no, they want you to know it's a Doberman. So therefore, they go for dogs that are consistently identifiable as Dobermans. I believe in a lot of bully breeds, whether it be the French Bulldog, the English Bulldog, the American Bully, especially in the American Bully, it's not so much being identified as an American Bully as being identified as, wow, that's an amazing looking dog. Then they say, oh yeah, he's an American Bully. It's something that's very different, especially when you get amongst other breeders. It's no longer about fitting into that mold of matching every other American Bully as much as it's about fitting into the mode of that dog is different. I got that dog from Joe Schmo Kennels. I got that dog from Big Blue Black Buck Kennels. I got that dog from Little Sally Jane Kennel. That's what they want to identify the dogs as. Instead of its individual breed, it is far more relevant that the dog is identifiable by where it came from, by its sire or its dam. Oh, that's a Dax grandson. Oh, that's a Blue grandson. Oh, that's a Miyagi direct son. I know y'all hate that word direct. That's exactly why I said it. Uh, you know, that's what they want to be identified as. So that right there is going to breed, for lack of a better word, the idea that you want to be different as opposed to being the same. And consistency basically means similar, this, that, that things are the same, not even similar, that they're the same, that they're cookie cutter. And the bully breeds are not really started that way. I think that's why we get our French, our fluffy French bulldogs and things like that, because being normal is frowned upon or at least less desirable than being something vastly different. So the money involved generally comes from being different and standing out differently. So that right there in, in turn takes away from the ability for the breed to sit there and say, we're gunning to be consistent. We want our dogs to look a certain way. We want them to act a certain way. We want them to be uniform as a breed. And you see this anytime you go to a dog show and you're talking about bully breeds. There is generally. So as we talk about being uniform, that is going to be a, a negative connotation when it comes to the American bully. Um, when I say negative connotation, I'm only saying that it's going to affect the value of the breed. Now, if you talk about that same uniformity in a kennel, in an actual 
program, it's a positive. If I can go to Folking Kennels and I'm guaranteed to get this look that I'm looking for, that's great. If I can go to Eddie with China Boy and get a look that I want, then that's great. If I can go to uh, any kennel that's out there that's doing positive things, if I can go to Alex and Devin and I can say, hey, I want a dog that looks like Bowser or I want a dog that looks like Lucky Luciano and they can create that, that is a positive in regards to that individual program. If I can go to Jamie at Blue River Shorty Bulls and I get dogs that look like what brought me to Blue River Shorty Bulls, that is 100% positive. That is a value that we are all searching for in regards to consistency. But these are individual programs. This is not based on a breed as a whole. Because if I go to Folk King Kennels and I'm looking for a specific type of American bully, and then I were to go to Devon and I'm looking for a specific type of American bully, those dogs are going to look different in most cases. And because of that lack of consistency is why I'm saying that the breed in itself is going to be inconsistent in part because of breeders, but also in part because of buyers. Buyers are out there looking for specific types of dogs. Those dogs are not always uniform to what you see in a standard, whether that standard be on the American Bully Kennel Club or that standard be on the uh, BBC for Shorty Bulls, for instance. They're looking for specific dogs. Bully breeds, in my opinion, are more based on specific dogs than any of the other groups out there. Now, you can argue if I got a bunch of Labrador people listening, they're like, hey, you know what? No, everybody wants Snuffy. Snuffy is the, the number one Labrador and everybody wants Snuffy. I understand that. That's my voice when I make fun of every other breed. So don't take it offense. I'm not trying to make fun of any specific group. Okay, I don't want a bunch of Sally, Jesse, Raphael's jumping up saying I'm making fun of their voice because I'm not. Anyway, what I'm saying is in bully breeds, it's notoriously based on individual dogs. If you even look at college football, for instance, and we look at the University of Georgia, shout out to the Bulldogs, and you look at Ugga, the best looking Bulldog ever. People go and they want dogs that specifically look like Ugga. That's what they want. They want an Ugga style dog. They go and find breeders that can produce that dog. This is another bully breed. It's not so uniform that you can get a dog without that unique personal touch that you get in bully breeds. Same thing with French Bulldogs. You can see a commercial and they want that type of French Bulldog that's in the commercial. But if you ever watch advertisements and French Bulldogs is a great example, you're going to see long-legged Frenchies, short-legged Frenchies, thick Frenchies, fat Frenchies. You're going to see all kinds of different Frenchies running through advertisements throughout uh, TV commercial breaks. And depending on what you like is going to depend on what you go get. Therefore, it opens up Less consistency in those breeds because there's a market for every single type of dog there is. If I was to go look for a Doberman and someone was offering me teacup Dobermans, I'm not talking about men pens. Do not bring up men pens because that's not what I'm talking about. If somebody said, I want to go get a Doberman, but I want my Doberman only to be 17 inches at the shoulder. They don't exist because the idea of a Doberman is consistent with that standard. It is a breed that the standard dictates what is consistent out there. Now, as you get into the show world, there's going to be slight deviations. Oh, maybe this year a dog with more heavier bone is winning or a dog with a little larger head is winning. But when I'm talking about slight deviations to the naked eye, these dogs are exactly the same. You will not be able to tell the difference between the Doberman that is a little heavier boned. When you hear a judge at an AKC show say, 
wow, I love this Doberman, but he's a little heavier boned. As a bully person, you're going to look over there and be like, where? Where? Where is he heavier boned? It's like going to a runway model show and they're saying, oh, I love this model, but her, her derriere is a little bit bigger than I like. Compared to going to Drake's music video. Derriere where? It, totally different thing. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about Dobermans and American Bullies. We're talking about the runway model to the Drake video vixens, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying one is better than the other because trust me, Bully Kid has no preference. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but in all actuality, you can see that difference. And that is what I meant by consistency. Hopefully when I bring my boy Tristan on, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But this is your boy, Bully the Kid. And y'all know what it is. So if y'all haven't checked that out on Facebook, make sure you do that. It's crazy to talk about consistency in our breeds and what we can do to make it a little bit better. But like I said, it's the Bully the Kid podcast show, episode 10, the Q&A episode. Tristan better bring it, man, because I promise you, if he doesn't bring it, this will be the last time. I, I promise you, this will be the last time he ever comes into the booth. I promise you that. Let's go. Once again, this is the Bully the Kid training tip. And as you guys know, these tips aren't necessarily proven, but they work for me. Now, most of us every month have to give our dog some sort of pill, whether that be his heartworm medication, an antibiotic, or pain medication. Either way, giving our dogs a pill can often be quite the ordeal. So I've got three little tips that I like to do to help you make giving your dog a pill a little bit easier. Number one, what I like to do is wrap that pill up in the cheese. Just get some sliced cheese, wrap it up into tight little balls, and then give it to the dog with the pill inside. Of course, there's a little bit of trickery to this. Make sure that first one you give is just cheese alone. The second one you give is just cheese alone. The third one you give has the pill inside of the cheese. The dog will eat it without knowing any any the wiser. And then after he eats that one, I like to give him the third, the fourth pill, the fourth treat. I'm sorry, don't give him another pill. Give him another piece of cheese without the pill. That's number one. Number two, I like to do what's called the back of the tongue method what you do is you take the pill you wrap it up in a treat again and the same piece of cheese place it on the back of the dog's tongue close his mouth and then gently rub his throat he will should swallow when you're doing this you're going to hold his muzzle closed not to suffocate him people just enough that he's able to swallow most dogs swallow this immediately after he swallows it count to about three seconds and then release his mouth some clever dogs will definitely still have it back there and regurgitate it as if they're trying to feed little lost wild dog cubs, but normally that works. So definitely try that tip. And the third one, a lot less proven, but I like to do it. It's something I invented myself. I like to take my dog for a brisk walk. When the dog comes back from the walk, he likes to drink water. I let him drink a little bit, and after he drinks a little bit, I take the pill with the cheese on it, place it in the back of his throat, close his mouth, He's going to swallow it, and then he's going to, again, drink some water. At that point, you've gotten rid of the pill, and that works perfectly. I love these training tips. I hope you do, too. As I said, they're not necessarily proven, but they work for me. Let's go. All right, all right. Like I said, man, these training tips are not necessarily proven, but like I said, they all work for me. I don't want to get any more complaints to my email about how my training tips are not working for y'all. I just gave you the best way to give your dog pills. I, I hope y'all 
We're listening. But like I said, in this segment, we're doing something a little bit different here. It's episode 10. And every 10 episodes, I'm going to allow someone to come into the booth with your boy. And when they get in here, they're going to be able to do a Q&A with none other than myself. Ask me questions. I don't pre-rehearse this. I don't know what they're going to ask me, man. Like, all I ask y'all is to keep it professional, man. Don't, don't ask me things that are going to get me in trouble with one of the misses. You know what I'm saying? That's all I ask. And today... My special guest is none other than New Orleans' own. Uh, you know, he kind of is Atlanta native now because he's Blue Notes now, which is in Georgia. I got a shout out to my boy Tristan Batiste. Tristan, are you there? Yes, sir. What's up? What's up? Man, you know what, Tristan? Now, a lot of people are upset that I'm giving you the first crack at doing the Q&A with Bully the Kid. But, but I wanted to start off. And I hope you don't take offense. I want to start off with someone that I thought might be like a softball. You know, like when you're when you're a, a boxer, you don't want to start right out with Mike Tyson. You want to kind of start off with a warm up fight. Yeah, know? man, I get you. I get you. I, I kind of feel like you're the warm up fight. Like this is a fight I should win. This Q and A I should utterly dominate. You know what you I'm should. saying? <laughs> until I work my way up. Until you know, like Salma Hayek got an interview. But. Man, I'm making it, man. It's another day down here, man. Another day in paradise, I guess. Working and doing the dogs, man. I'm going to give you a little bit of a radio tip. When I ask a question, you got to be quick, quick, quick on the response, man. Like, quick. You know what I'm saying? I see a little, little YouTube things you do, but this is the big leagues, bro. This is the big uh, okay. leagues. <laughs> okay. This is the big leagues. This ain't Molly. See, Molly is sweet. Me, me, I'm a monster, man. I see that. I see that, man. I see that you, you ready to go. Let's do it. All right, man. Yo, it's your world right now. It's Bully the Kid. I'm sitting on the hot seat. Or I like what's, to call it the throne. What's up? What's up, man? Dude, so first off, I want to start out by saying congratulations on your Nationals win, man. Like, I mean, how many years you've been doing this? I cannot believe that I actually just figured this out the other day. But, man, you got so many Nationals winners and top dogs and stuff like that. I never knew you was a shorty bull breeder, to be totally honest. I just thought you was just... A loud, mouth, a loud mouth shit talker, but look, oh, look wow. at that. So, so we just gonna open up with, with <laughs> shots fired. Oh, you know what, man? I'm gonna say this, man. You know what? That caught me off guard right there. But no, you know what? I have been doing the shorty bull now, uh, about ten to eleven years. So it's been a minute. And the one thing bulls was, <clears throat> I wanted to bring a presence into the show ring because. When I got into Shorty Bulls, it was a totally different world, and the breed was very, very, very inconsistent, um, and the breeders were not necessarily taken seriously, so I felt that when I got the breed, actually, me and Dave Wilson actually both Shorty Bull about the same time. He got a dog named Kung Fu Panda, and of course, I got Cassius Clay, a.k.a. the GOAT, and and my goal was to just basically do what I did, win every time I went into the ring, but I didn't want to dominate Shorty Bulls. I wanted to american bullies because that was what was going to make the most noise was beating dogs like bistro and big papa and uh gold rush that so that's what i did when i got into shorty bulls and since that 10 years ago rest in peace goat he passed away this summer um you know we've of course been every single number one dog every single top 10 dog and national winner um uh, most of them go back to cassius clay so it's been a it's been a good thing but, um, you know, shout out to other people that won nationals. Um, I'm very proud to say I produced six number one 
dogs, and I've been involved now with three national winners. So uh, it's, it's big things with this little dog. Man, that's huge, bro. Like, I feel like um, like the shorty boys always kind of got looked over. Like, for me, when I first got in it, I never really knew what the heck it was, to be honest with you. Like, I didn't know. I thought it was a Frenchie. I was like, man, I thought it was a Frenchie without ears. And I was like, who would do that to a poor Frenchie? Look at that. But after yeah. I, I went back, man, and saw some videos of you, man. I'm talking about some old videos. And, boy, you've been, you been a professional on the mic for a long time, too, talking that noise for a long time, guaranteeing yourself wins and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was it, man. You know, for me, like, talking and um, really talking junk was something that I think that the breed – all the breeds in the American bully world were like, um, you know, and I joked about it a little bit earlier on one of my Facebook posts that everyone's very nice and kind to each other, which I think is very important. Good sportsmanship is important. But at the same time, I feel that we are artists and we are competitors and it's, there's nothing wrong with saying I'm going to win and I'm going to be the best. That's what I strive to be. Um, some people of course get turned off by that. But at the same time, I think when I won in 2013, which was my first national win, I think I heard the loudest roars from the crowd, honestly, until 2014 when I lost. Um, <laughs> when I lost, the the roar was just as loud because people wanted me to lose because I was literally that dude that was. But think about how much clout that brought into like what you was doing though, like as far as just, and how much attention that brought the breed in particular though, like oh, yeah, the yeah. build up. You know, the buildup from one year to the next and for people to anticipate, oh, man, I really want this dude to win all the way to the next year was like, I really don't want this dude to win. But <laughs> yeah. everybody look like all eyes are on you, on the ring, on the shorty bull. So, I mean, for, man, thanks for like really bringing that notoriety to the breed. I mean, I feel like there were people that were like, I guess, intricate in creating the breed. But as far as like really getting the name out there, like for me, you was the like the face that I thought of every time. Oh, I appreciate that. You know what? Big shout out to, uh, of course, Jamie Sweet at Blue River. That's my mentor in the breed. She's a creator. And, you know, uh, people think I hate the other creator, Amy Krugman. I don't hate anybody in dogs. I just feel that I wanted her to do more. And when she was gone, I think that Jamie was the one that picked up the range when she didn't have to. She was making enough money. She was selling enough dogs. She didn't need to do that. And she definitely didn't need to not get in the way of what I was doing. You know, it takes a very big person to to run my mouth and in essence become the face of the breed in a certain you know jamie sweet will forever be the creator she is the face of the breed but she did not in fact she encouraged me to push goat as hard as i did and when we stopped pushing i felt my breed fall off a little bit and it, it slipped away so i would tell like i love dave martinez with blue and, and kira and um Blue because Blue could do it silently. He didn't really have to say nothing. But I also like the cocky arrogance of Mike Ruiz and the Trot Boys when they were showing Bear. They had a confidence about them that was like, we're going to beat everybody. Robert Lee had a confidence about himself in Bistro. He wasn't as loud as me. Uh, I think even Mo Barrow with Big Papa back in the day, there was a level of confidence of I'm going to go out and beat everybody. Anybody that's truly good at what they do. They have a an air of confidence, and that confidence can be loud, or that confidence can be be very very quiet. Uh, to me, I've always gone against the grain when people are like, "Oh, the people that are the loudest, they're the ones that don't have the no no no." The people that are the loudest, they they can really still whoop your ass. It's just a matter of you having to hear them talk about it, and it happens. And that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to make sure that people recognize the shorty bull because it would get looked over. And this year, I won nationals, and it was not.
the hype that it should have been in years past because it's such a different now. So I should have probably hyped it a little bit more. But um, I'll say this. We had 30 shorty bulls out there. I had to beat more shorty bulls than I've ever had to beat at a national event. I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of Sita. I'm glad that she goes back to dogs that I bred and I produced. That was something new for me. And, um, hey, it, it was a great feeling. It was a great feeling, man. But, yeah, uh, man, I wish I could have been there. Man, well, I'm sorry you weren't. And we're not trying to relive your mistake of not. <laughs> Whatever. So, okay, what, what man. What but... Q&As you got? Me so, talking about so... how great I am. So here we go, man. Serious question though. Uh, I we I saw I saw your um live feed earlier today, and one thing that I wanted to touch on was that consistency, and not just a, a, in the American bully breed, but in all breeds. And you discussed like consistency within a program and consistency within the breed, like as you know, in the community as a whole. And one thing that I had just mentioned was about you know when Blue won nationals. It's like the first thing that comes to my mind is how many blues have we seen like in recent years, like the dog to me and I love the dog, love the owners. I mean, couldn't love them anymore, but I mean, the dog to me looks totally different from a lot of dogs like that I've seen in the last couple of years. And a lot of the winning dogs, you know, it looks completely different. Nice. Everybody about to jump on board and go blue crazy and then just try to start making dogs that look like that. Or are they trying to get the next big thing to go, Okay, we'll say, well, blue one. So I want to be better than that. I want to be the next big thing. I want to get bigger, better, more bone, more mass, more like more this, more that. Is the breed, you know, as far as the American bully go, are they ever going to reach that level of consistency that we're looking for? Like, and I mean, at the end of the day, what's really more important now that we're looking back at it? I remember. Well, you uh, I'll say first it. and foremost, if people could get a ring full of blues, that would be a tremendous day for the American bully. I think that he, his attitude, his presence, there's a very few American bullies that I think had that attitude and presence. I think uh, Bear was a very smooth dog, but I think Blue has a presence that's very, very big. Uh, Bistro had this same sort of presence. I think that that is synonymous with the American bully. That's what you need is a dog that comes in the ring and no matter who you are, your eyes are going to gravitate to that dog. So do I think people should sit there and say, I want a Blue? A blue attitude, 100%. 100% is what you should be shooting for. Now, will people shoot for blues? Obviously not. We got three varieties, four varieties, actually, of different um, American. So if you want an XL, you don't want a blue. If you want a pocket, you don't want a blue. If you have a classic, again. But if you want a standard dog, I think that he is definitely, in my opinion, one, one of the epitomes of what the American bully is supposed to be. He's a very heavy dog. He's a very stout dog. He's a very powerful dog now um i've heard people talk about his movement um they want to see a little bit cleaner movement this is a very big rhinoceros sized animal moving towards you um i think his movement is, is very good now there's little bits and pieces i'd want to tweak and i hope that david martinez and and those people that are utilizing blue as a stud are trying to tweak those areas and improve on it but i hope that they don't lose the attributes that make him blue um the problem with the american bully community is this we don't strive to make yesteryear's show dog. So the moment blue one, it's out the window. Because if you don't believe me, let's look at how many people are trying to create bear. And, and, and we can make an argument that bear is the greatest American bull. Man, and I can't ever. lie, dude. Like even the year that, you know, we took uh, Grand Champion Hove out for mm -hmm. a while. Like just being on the receiving end of that and listening to people reach out about Hove and wanting to breed to him, wanting to use him. Everybody was like, 
because he was so different. He was a different dog. Like dogs that we were used to seeing was really bully dogs. But I had not in my time of being besides Bistro after him, I had never seen a dog just almost trot around the ring, almost looking like a horse. Like, you know, those Arabian horses, like just with this big, you know, just happy go lucky feeling. Mm -hmm. I hope he didn't have that big presence like that, but he had that just, I love being here. Everything about this is just what I want to do. Yeah. And everybody went like behind that. But then the year after that, it's like, okay, I want to be better than that. Like, I want something bigger than that. I want something yeah, well, it's Hove, been changing year in, year out. Yeah, Hove is a is a dog that's a very unique dog. Hove is a unicorn. So I don't think Hove was ever because he didn't carry the mass um that was needed. Now I think his son uh carried a little Nas, carried more mass and was more of that ideal everybody want look. But I mean I saw Hope's father, Tito, and of course Tito being on Bistro, I, I saw those dogs. And of course I could see where he carries down. Now Rye, who's now owned by Devin and Alex, Rye had that same presence of movement, that powerful floating movement. Rye ran into Rocco though. And Rocco was a bigger dog, nowhere near the movement of Rye. But he was such a presence. And that's what the American bully will always be fighting in regards to consistency. You're going to be fighting the presence and the appeal of the general public compared to the show dog. I, I love Hope. I think Hope, you know, Hope passing away was a definite detriment to the American bully. But I would always want to see more of a whole more of a presence on Hope. Because the presence of Hope, honestly, was was twofold. Uh, Hove's presence was aligned with Xavier. Xavier and Hove matched each other very well. When you were showing Hove, y'all matched each other very well. This was a team, a team tandem look, and that was kind of, in my opinion, the appeal of Hove was this new coming dog with this new coming handler, new coming handlers that made people look like, yo, this is the underdog. Hove was the the quintessential underdog like he wasn't supposed to win like that he wasn't supposed to be in the discussion and he was and i think he was that really was the steph curry of the dog world honestly well i wouldn't call him a bum yeah yeah steph curry is a bum oh you a hater oh my god next question let's move yeah let's move on but so as far as consistent for all the, for all the kennels out there like do you feel that the consistency within the kennel is more important than the consistency in the community? A hundred percent. I touched on that a little bit earlier and I'll say it again. I believe that the American bully is built on individuality and individuality is confused with creativity. And that of course, both of those things, individuality and creativity go against consistency. So when we talk about what makes the American bully great, it is not about me owning an American bully. It is about me owning a blue note bully. It is about me owning a hard body bully. It is about me owning a folk king um, American bully. It's about me owning a brimson or it is definitely individualized in regards to value. Um, I own a Waffle House son. I own a Duval bully. Th these are things that basically make it an American bully uh, value more so than saying I own an ABKC American bully or I own um, an American bully just by itself. It has always been built on I own a Razor's Edge American bully. This dog comes directly from Dave Wilson. This dog comes directly from Mike Land. This dog comes from Richard Barajas. You know what I'm saying? It's right. always based on where the dogs come from and not what the dogs are. So when you're asking which is more consistent, it's always going to be um, the breeders more so than the breed. And that's what hurts the American bully. But at the same time, it's what makes it remarkable. 
Man, I love everything about it, dude. Like, I mean, I'm trying to figure out what's, for me, like, what's more important. At this point, it's like when you get dogs as far as, like, from certain people, like the people Well, let me name, ask you. Like, I'll ask you straight up what's more important. You can, you'll answer this yourself. What's more oh, don't put me on the hot seat like that. <laughs> well, no, I'm saying it's going to be like this. Do you want to win nationals or do you want to be known for what you're producing? Man, you know what? That's that's a that's a crazy question because of me coming so close two years back to back, like as far as like the whole winning top dog and then dog passing away, then the whole like um having another dog that was, you know, really running against blue early on before COVID, but COVID screwed up all the other stuff. Um, like for me, you know, as a handler, because I'm a handler first, like I am actually not necessarily a breeder. I wouldn't call myself a breeder until I put so as a handler. The answer would be that it, it would be more about the individual accolade. Of course, of course, right. all day. So, and that's where you're. That's where you're running in. Like I, I tell people all the time. Like we get so caught up in saying the right answer that we don't just give the truthful answer sometimes because we know that we all want to say, "I want to do this for the breed." There's nothing wrong with that. I know everybody wants to say that. Everything that I do is for the breed. When I talk about shorty bulls, I want to be able to say that what I'm doing is to transcend the breed and bring it to the masses but you know what as i sit around right now doing this podcast and i look around the trophies that's around me these are very much i did this when you when we started the conversation it was about me being involved with six number one top dog shorty bulls it's about me being involved with three um national winning shorty bulls it's about goat's legacy so I understand that even for myself, who is a big time voice and ambassador for the shorty bull, there's times I got to pump my brakes and say, what is best for the breed as a whole? When Cedar won nationals this year, um, she's a very tiny, petite bitch. She's very stocky. But she's very short. Um, I knew that what I was doing for the breed outside of my own yard was bringing it back to where it needed to be in regards to height. It was bringing back the size that we need for the shorty bull, in my opinion. I knew the gravity of what this win was going to do because I also can see where my breed is going in in terms of overall compactness. But I have the foresight to believe that. Do I think that Blue had the same impact that my shorty bull had on his, on his overall breed? The answer is no. Cedar will have a way bigger impact on her breed then Blue will have on the American Bully. The American Bully is too big for just one dog to win nationals and suddenly change the landscape of the American Bully. Shorty Bulls are smaller. Cedar can change the landscape of that. The oldie that wins, the reason that you see people angry and upset about the oldie is not just because, oh, we don't like that oldie. It's because they fear that that one dog can change the entire landscape of the oldie. Now, judges will look at this oldie and say, that's what an oldie is supposed to be. Right. If that doesn't happen in the American Bully, pri primarily because the majority of your judges are American Bully breeders. So when you have a lot of judges that breed the breed that is the, the face of the kennel club, they're not necessarily going to buy into, hey, that dog is better than my dog. They're, they're going to read the standard and go by what the standard says. But with other breeds, um, we can sway it a little bit more by who's winning um, nationals and and things like that. Who's number one? Because judges are learning. There's no there's no book that says judges know it all. Judges are learning, and they're they're going to look at certain dogs, and those dogs can push and, and move the meter a little bit. So as far as like when you know with these dogs, my I mean my biggest question right here is going to be when are you going to get yourself an American bully and start breeding? You need to do it. I don't care what you say. I ain't trying to hear nothing other than that. You oh man, that's a great question. You know, I'm thinking about getting my first American bully actually on February 30th. Um, 
that's probably when I'll get it. Really? You lying? No, February 30th is the date. Bruh, I feel like that's going to be like, because, man, you are so knowledgeable about these breeds that it's almost like, it's almost to the point, like, why hadn't you Tristan, pursued Justin? you just walked into the knockout blow. That's why I said, man, big leagues. <laughs> I said February 30th. You know what February 30th is, bro? Whatever, bro. Whatever. There is no February 30th. Never. Oh, never... my God. I'm so stupid. <laughs> bro, you walked in. Dog, I'm a professional, man. Let me, let me take a swip, sip of my crystal light. Hey, you killing me. You killing me. No, nah, so look, man, I have no desire to get the American bully, but it's not because I don't appreciate the breed. I think the breed is, is phenomenal. I just think that, um, you know what? My heart is where the shorty bull is right now. I'm getting my son a Doberman. Um, everyone that's listening on my podcast, they've heard me say this for years, and my son probably thinks I'm a liar. We just had some bad luck getting him his Doberman. But we're we're getting a Doberman. And um, other than that, man, it's, it's pretty much shorty bull central over here. But I love my American bullies. I love the people that are breeding them. I love the people that are doing the right way. You know, I follow I follow Molly's program. There's a beautiful puppy she put up today. And I'll say, yo, that's that's the move. That's a beautiful dog. I follow Blue. I follow Bear. I follow a, a Bowser and, and Lucky Lou. And I follow Dave Wilson's program and Tone. I, I like to watch a lot of different people that are breeding dogs. But I also follow OD programs like uh, Chris and Gina Moore. I, I, me and Jessica Cook got beef right now. But I follow, I follow Jessica Cook, Cook's program as well. And, of course, I follow every shorty bull. The thing that I want to see more in the American bully community and the dog community in general, I want to see more togetherness. I want people to follow the program because you can really learn from what the other man is doing. And I think we've had this mindset of I don't pay attention to other people's yards for too long because you, you have to pay attention. You have to pay attention because you cannot learn everything you need to learn sitting in your bedroom that's why i send my kids to school there's things i cannot teach them even though i'm knowledgeable i cannot teach them everything so therefore they need to go out and speak to others if they go speak to you that you can learn they can learn to my homeboy ariel they can learn something from him they go to xavier they can learn something from him they go to dave wilson or james cooper or my band rolando moderates there's so much knowledge that we have in individuals. That is a God-given thing that he gave each one of us as human beings is to share our knowledge and our experiences with others. And that transcends dogs. But too many people do not allow themselves that opportunity to teach other people. So therefore, we. So what what do you feel about, you know, since you bring that up, what do you how do you feel about, you know, those breeders that kind of have like. In the past, I guess they've they've bred, 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 and accomplished so much, but now they've gotten to a point to where they kind of shut down as far as like the community goes. I feel like a lot of the like I feel like you know seventy five percent of the community is new people, just new people flooding in all the time, constantly. Well, show dogs in general, you have to know the history of show dogs. Most people that get involved in showing dogs don't last longer than five years. That that's not just. Um, the American bully, that's a worldwide thing. Like people that show dogs generally only show so long. Generally what happens, I'll be honest with you, is you get a dog, you champion that dog out, you have great success with one dog, you get another dog, you don't find it as easy and then you get out. Or you don't make the amount of money that you thought that you were going to make from showing your dog. You don't get the stud fees, you don't sell the puppies and you get out. Unusual to have such a new demographic of people. I do think the American bully suffers from people leaving, but I also have to always remind people the American bully is in its infancy. And I know people don't like to hear that when you're thinking of 20 years in the dog game, but the people that started at the beginning, they weren't necessarily 
great dog breeders. They Some of them just came at the right time and they were able to take advantage of a boom and they were able to make easy money, easy, easy money. Well, now um, our crowd of American bully people and dog owners in general are, fi- are far more intelligent. They're far more educated in faults and flaws and attributes and positives in breeding programs. So because of that, if you're not real well-versed and you're not continuing your education in animal husbandry and breeding animals, those people pass you by and it's hard to sell a dog to someone knowledgeable. Think about this real quick. Me selling a, what's easier to sell a car to a mechanic or a 16 year old. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If if you come out, this is your first car. I could sell you whatever kind of man. You so happy to be driving. You know what I'm saying? Right. You want anything. And I can sell you a lemon. I can sell you a clunker. I can sell you a really nice, the difference but if a mechanic who's been driving for 25 years show up and he's like yo i want to buy this used car let me pop the hood rev it real quick let me drive it for 10 miles and see if it's what's this ticking they they recognize things that other people don't so what happens with breeders a lot of times in the american bully i think is as people's knowledge gets stronger and better they get out because they can no longer um they can no longer sell to those people you know, it's a yeah. very difficult thing. So that's what happens. And I think some of our OGs, shout out to my man, Kevin, Kev, Big Kev from the lounge is a big time OG. I think we're also getting some newer OGs. When I say newer OGs, these are people that are now tra- tra- traversing the landscape of social media. You're going to that, are, you know, people will be like, oh, I don't think he's an OG, but he's been around and he's been doing it. Um, and people are going to look to him for that same type of knowledge. Alex Ferrero. Ferraro is one of the best people to talk to about dogs. He's phenomenal. Lindsey Butler down in Texas is a phenomenal person to talk dogs. Ashton on my live today was phenomenal. Tone is getting so much better in what he's doing. Kino Arorios, Araros, I think you would say down there is someone good to talk to. And then there's other people that you may not think of because they're quieter. Michael Griffin, one of my best friends, super knowledgeable about dogs, has seen so many dogs. And then if you want to talk about showing Whose experience is better than Xavier's? You know, go talk to him. People don't call on Mike Ruiz as a handler and say, hey, you know what? You you did this. What was it like going for number one? Um, I think sometimes we we overlook people because we don't think that they should have that that knowledge, but they do have that knowledge. And you, I tell people all the time, some of my biggest mentors have breeds of dogs that I never owned. One of my biggest mentors is a lady who owns French Bulldogs who detests shorty bulls. But she takes her time and talks to me for now 15 years. You know what I'm saying? Rolando right. Motto was one of my first mentors. Um, so, you know, I talk to people, you know, Papa Pitt may not be with the ABKC anymore. Reach out to him. B- bug the hell out of him. Papa Pitt like to talk. Talk to him. Oh, yeah. Is another one. But I think that we get caught up in who's hot right now. Those are the people that we talk to. And we forget about other people. It's just like with Bully the Kid. There's people that will recognize Bully the Kid for all the things you mentioned when you came on. And I'm very humbled by um, people that recognize those things. But at the same time, there's people that will be like, who? who, Who's Bully the Kid? They only know me as Christopher James. So it, it's very different. Man, that's, that's crazy that you mentioned that because of the fact that I remember coming into this, man. I was always like, I was so gung-ho about like getting in contact with all of these people that I had started breeding. I'm talking about like, and like one thing about it, man, like getting people to understand breeding, because I remember you mentioned that. And when you mentioned it, it was like, man, like that was a light bulb when I was like, people can understand, you know, what to avoid and the flaws and this and that. But they don't understand breeding and knowing that sometimes you have to, you know, 
take a dog that carries more type, you know, and, you know, breed to certain dogs to get what you're looking for. You know, sometimes breeding show dog to show dog ain't always going to give you a show dog. Oh, like, definitely. My The dog that just won nationals for me, she comes off a dog named Clubber. I love Clubber. Clubber is the face of signature shorty bulls, but Clubber is not a show dog. And but Clubber goes back to grand champions and champions, and and he should have been a show dog, but he had he had some faults that I decided I would not put him in the ring with. I bred him, and he just produced a national winner. If I had scrapped that dog, I would have made a crucial, crucial mistake if all I wanted was show dogs. And that's what I tell people: you don't have to get rid of everything. You don't have to say that it's. You don't have to be ashamed of liking something that may be pushing the standard a little bit or a dog that wouldn't necessarily champion. The goal is still to make better. When I, when I took Clubber, who was not a show dog and I bred him to Tybee, who also never been shown, but could easily be a show dog. I created show dogs. That was my intention. That was my goal. So once I achieved that goal and you know, everyone thinks nationals was the big win for me. It was nationals was a, a big thing for myself. But when the first time she won a best in show under Derek Dennis, I was I was blown away when her littermate sister won best in show under Devin Ferraro. I was blown away. This was two dogs out of a three dog litter that had won best in shows. To me, that was the mark of me doing what was right. And my partner Casey Hicks down at Triland, who who did that breeding with me, you know, we we were happy. We sat there and looked at each other like, damn right, we did it. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. you don't have to put yourself in a hole of only breeding champion or grand champion or grand champion or champion. But what you need to do is make sure that you have that experience and the eye for breeding that you can step out and that you're going to stand behind the products that you make. If you just breed the dogs that aren't titled and say, I just don't want you anymore. I don't agree with that. Like I bred to a non-titled dog to get titled dogs. That's, that's the difference. Exactly, man. I mean, I hate to toot my partner's horn, but man, Molly, she's, she's like, awesome when it comes to that man like as far as being knowledgeable about what she's doing man like you go to her house and you see every dog looks exactly the same every dog like champion certificates and grand championships are like just hung up all over the place and you're just looking like and a lot of those dogs like even the dog that she helped me produce like that was something that she had helped me a lot on because of course I come into this thinking that I know everything you know when I was coming in didn't know really nothing but she came in and she kind of was like you know I asked her to use her dog and you know I sent her a dog that was, I'm talking about under by big round eyes, bowed out in the front, but a huge female and it ended up producing, you know, a grand champion off of the litter and really one of the, you know, he was in the top 10, of course, when we was running them and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But that's something that nobody expected because people that were, you know, looking at that breeding was like, oh, well, she, you know, she don't look that good and she bowed out and this and that. But, you know, Molly saw the diamond in the rough when it well, came Well, Molly to that. is... Molly and her, her mom, Phyllis, I, I got to shout out them because I've known them for years. And they suffer from being humble, you know, <laughs> yeah. very, very quiet. And it's not something that they suffer from. I respect them for, for being humble. And whether it's in her grooming skills, whether it's in her raw dog food, she's just very, very humble. Um, What I like about Molly is, you know what, uh, I do, of course, doing deliveries. She wanted me to deliver a dog for her for so long. And then I, I delivered one. And man, I have not seen... I don't have a breeder that brought me more toys and stuff for a new home than Molly Fuchs did um, on that delivery. I literally wanted to tell her I'm about to throw this whole bag in the trash. I'm not carrying <laughs> this through the airport, but I, I got it to the claim. But, um, you know, there's people like Molly Fuchs, and, and I don't mean this in a bad way. There's there's people like that that are humble and quiet that people can learn from and they can take people under their wing. It's just a matter of 
do we give those people time? And when you look at blue note bullies, I, I mean, there's there's been dogs that have made me turn and look for for now at least six years probably coming from Molly where I've been like, yo, who's this? Who's this? Who's this? I want to see this one. Bring it out. And she's just a humble person. And there's people like that in the American bully because the ABKC has cultivated positive people like that. You know, whether it's Nick, angry, angry Nick up there and um, he's a Patriot fan. So I never know exactly where he's at if he's involved. But there's a lot of little kennels that I could sit here and name Hannah Dawson out in, in Kansas. I always feel bad when I start naming people because I think people are like, man, you didn't name me. But <laughs> you know what? Really, it's about me today. It's my Q&A in every 10 episodes. Y'all get to come on and ask me anything, man. I'm about to wrap you up, though. It's been 32 minutes. Oh, you got man, one good. last question for me. Are you good? Are you satisfied with your moment in the big league? First of all, we got to take notes. You didn't know that there were 30 days in February. Oh, my God. You, you're a fast talker. Hey, man, it was an accurate statement. You, you, you missed that. You came on. You spent too much time talking about my greatness. But I appreciate <laughs> it. But you, you should have came in for the hit. Tristan, this was your chance at the big league. On a scale of one to ten, I'm gonna go ahead and give you a six. You know? Oh my god, a six. But hey man, it's a hard scale here. Hey, it definitely is. It definitely is, man. This ain't no walk in the park, man. It's and not, I definitely I I'm definitely wouldn't recommend somebody just jump on. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, I don't <laughs> give anybody any opportunity to prepare, man. I appreciate you coming on. And before I let you go, I gotta ask you. Um, like I said, we're gonna have blue. Everyone's mad because I said I'm gonna have Dave and Kira on, they're out there doing other podcasts. They're, they're, they're doing a lot of other things. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and we're going we're gonna to discuss that when they come into the booth, man. But I got to ask you, man, you guys, and, and for people that don't know Tristan Batiste, you got to check out his uh, YouTube things. I follow what you and Molly do um, with the training thing and the little, uh, little playground for the puppies and all of that. I saw it. Do I do it? Hell no. My dogs get a bottle. It sounds just like this. That's what they get, a damn empty water bottle. They play with it. Then they can be alone and just sit there in their thoughts until their new home come and rescue them. That's pretty much the way I do it with my puppy. Wow. wow. Congratulations to y'all for all of the stimulation y'all give. Stimulation is cars driving by. Stimulation is bullets flying in the hood. That's what I give for my puppies. All hey, right. Tristan, sounds, sounds like a winner. <laughs> Tristan, I appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you so much for joining, of course, the greatest podcast show on earth the bully the kid podcast show i uh, appreciate you brother man i hope to see you at a show man and thanks for all the love this was the first ever q and history man i appreciate you man well i thank you for having me on man i'm looking forward to kicking your ass see see you, this is not the way you end my podcast first of all <laughs> you use language several times on here that i'm gonna have to go through and edit out but I'm, I'm gonna leave it because i want people to understand what type of person you are tristan and hey me, man i'm a competitor man i'm a competitor just like you man i'm ready i'm, I'm gonna know, get why, after it. why do the people that lose the much always say they the competitor why he I'm, I'm a winner bro all right tristan i'm out of here once again y'all this is the bully the kid podcast show we appreciate y'all tuning in on the q and i'm gonna be right back with a closing statement we're gonna get out of here tristan practice more brother practice more oh my god tristan it's not time for you it's over with like, you just act like you faded to black right now. Fade away. See, man, rookies, man. Rookies!
Once again, y'all, we got to say thank y'all so much for tuning into the Bullet Kid podcast show. I had a great time doing Q&A with my man, Tristan Batiste, Blue Note Bully. Shout out to Molly Poops. Man, I got to tell y'all, man, whether it's consistency in your own yard or consistency within the breed, it is something we should all be aiming for and thriving for. And whatever breed we have, whether it's the American Bully, the American Pitbull Terrier, the Shorty Bull, the French Bulldog, or many, many more of the plethora of breeds that are here on planet Earth, we should be striving and produce the best dogs. If you're not trying to produce the best, then don't breed at all. That's the way I, I believe. Once again, this is the Bully the Kid podcast show. And the next podcast you hear, I will have my man David Martinez in the booth with me. I will, of course, have Kira on. And they're going to be talking a little bit about the trials and tribulations of being number one as y'all prepare for the next year, 2022. And of course, y'all can look up for the coming month what we're going to be doing here in December. We're going to have a Christmas special. And of course, we're going to have the New Year resolutions. That's going to be a banging show where I bring some people in to talk about different things that we're going to do. And whether you're listening to Bully Kid Podcast Show or another podcast, make sure you're educating yourself, people. It's your boy, Bully the Kid. And it's a... I'm trying to roll my words right now. Rap. You know, like a Christmas gift. We out of here. Appreciate y'all. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's your boy DJ Dramatic from the Senate DJs. You checking out my man right now, Bully the Kid. It's going down real heavy in the booth. The champ is here. Time's up. The champ is here. Remix. The champ is here. The champ is here. Turn your radio. Bully the kid. The boost.